You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. And yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian. With me, as always, a man who, like everybody else in the world that's not named Carlos Vela, did not win the vote for MLS All-Star Team Captain. It's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. And just like all the other Atlanta fans, I am outraged, outraged. that I am not the I am not the starting captain. So you know, I think looking back. Where we went wrong was that our uh, hashtag vote Harrison campaign uh, never actually left the American Soccer Analysis Slack. And so I think you got like nine votes. Uh, but we probably should have tweeted that if we wanted to get that a little bit further out there. The, uh, the question is if you do, ha- if we were to just absolutely flood vote Harrison, what application would start picking that up? What is the most likely application? And is that something that we'd really, that I would really like to be a, a part of? Like, does that accidentally nominate me for some sort of like cabinet position with Donald Trump? Because if that's the case, like, I want to distance well, myself from that the, as far as possible. Certainly a cabinet position with Don Garber. Certainly that. I, I hear he won't even meet with certain people that win, you know, hackathons, you know. They Scared. don't. It, 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 honestly, it was because they didn't give him the resolution to, you know, pro-rel the way he wanted it. And boy, I think that's uh, that was a crazy thing. Uh, what we're talking about is, uh, of course, uh, last week, uh, for those of you that are loyal listeners, thank you. Uh, Elliot McKinley joined us uh, talking about his experience from Hackathon. Um, and today USSF announced the, the results of that and, uh, on Twitter. And the replies were just full of people wondering why uh, they didn't just do pro-rel. So... Back to the drawing board for, for Elliot, I'm afraid, and our, our good people at ASA. Uh, got to give the people what they want. Um. But then, <laughs> then you got to share the second part of that is that when the U.S. soccer Twitter handle went ahead and released who won, all it was was a bunch of zealots basically like doing their pro-rel like, oh, well, why did you need to have all these data scientists tell you that ProRel was too expensive, quote unquote, or that yeah. you couldn't make so much money off of it, or whatever that they yeah. say? I don't, they I don't actually know what they say because um, my eyes just like started that. bleeding. Yeah, they say stuff like that. I don't want to like paint every ProRel person with the same brush. No, it, it, but it, it's it's one of those situations where if you're if you let all these guys stand that close to you, it's going to accidentally happen sometimes. And, um, yeah, they, they, well, you know, here's, here's the deal. Anyone that's listening I, to this that, that is a pro-rail person, I, I'm sure you are a reasonable and smart pro-rail person. And, and nobody that's reasonable or smart is actually vehemently against progression relegation, uh, just the, the, the weird subculture that it spawned on the Internet. Yes, the, the, the subculture. Well, and here's the thing. Like, if you were tweeting at some and let's just say the U.S. soccer Twitter handle is is some com- basically some huge organization. No one within the executive staff is is reading 
the response. So if you're adding the U.S. Soccer Twitter handle to like uh, fight back, you're you're snotty little things that you guys are saying. And honestly, I didn't see anything nice. I didn't see one nice comment that was said in it. So that's kind of why I have the attitude that I have. Well, but, and, and like, like there the was, thing it is... was just a lot of really mean and negatively negative comments. And like my thought process is who do you think you're, go- you, you are communicating with besides the people that were probably involved in this that are excited about the fact that they get to see their names out there and stuff. And I, I don't know. I just think it's uh, it's overtly negative and the internet right. has enough of that. Well, I, yeah, it, it's, I, I, I hate to break it to anybody that thinks they're, they're, they're part of the revolution by tweeting at somebody. Um, but you know, that's just not really a thing. And uh, yeah, anyway, it's just, it's there to just create, um, a t- you know, attention. They just want their their issues front and center in people's minds. They want people to see and hear them, and that's how they've gone about the doing it. It's just kind of inserting themselves, um, you know, in these conversations that no one invited them to. And anyway, enough pro I don't want to like get them on our mentions, <laughs> but they probably will. Uh, anyway, uh, again, if, if you're a nice pro listener that that enjoys this show, and uh, we're with you probably, and uh, I'm sure we can have a fun discussion about it at some point. Um, MLS action right now, Harrison. We are missing because how devoted are we to our listeners? We are foregoing the opportunity to watch Tommy Mac play as a false nine. That's happening right now. Yeah, you'd think that uh, someone was getting bombed the way ASA is slack is just like completely blowing up right now. Uh, you would think some sort of alarms or something was all uh, tied and integrated within Twitter with the way that uh, Slack is just going crazy for us right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's an interesting. Well, this is what the new coach is going to do. Like, I, yeah, I, I know he kind of comes from that sort of pep school. I mean, you know, at least he's in that organization. We didn't see Vieira use that false nine very much. Um, yeah. I mean, he hasn't. So far, it's worked for them. So, uh I don't Definitely think you won't. have to, though, right? Like, well, considering the people that they've that they've had at their disposal beforehand, they haven't necessarily had uh, to go to that false nine. Now, that option is probably it, it, it's. It, I don't want to say it's favorable, but it, it presents certain tactical nuances that uh, certainly are advantageous, can, given their present you know circumstance without uh, David Villa. No Via, no Sharati, no Joe Inga Burgett um, at the moment. So, yeah, I can kind of see why that was their, their sort of thought on that. But uh, let's talk about – let's get to the, the meat and potatoes of our show. I, I want to talk about a stat of the week. <laughs> There's that theme again. Uh, <laughs> the stat of the week theme brought to you by Harrison Crow. Um, so I was – Looking at our actual, like, uh, the fantasy league we're in, was counting up some things, and I saw that this week, Francisco Calvo of Minnesota United, uh, one of our favorite things to talk about, uh, managed to complete 14 defensive actions against LAFC, and that struck me as a a very high amount, Um, and certainly a very high amount for a game in which they were winning 5-1. And so I, of course, went to Elliot, and I said, Elliot... I think Calvo is going to be up there uh, for the highest defensive actions completed in one game since 2015, and I want to see where he ranks. And 
Elliot got back to me, as he does, and told me that, uh, in fact, since 2015, that was the 281st highest. So I was <laughs> a little bit off there. Just a little bit. And this year, it was tied for 46th highest. So uh, what this means, two things we can surmise from this. One, I don't have good fantasy defenders. And two, uh, there are a lot of defensive actions that we are not paying attention to. So um, I know that well, the first thing I was curious about, and I'm sure that you're curious about, and our listeners will be, is the highest since 2015, the biggest production uh, defensive-wise. Sony Mustavar, Kansas City versus Vancouver, July 13th, 2015. 29 defensive actions. That's uh, a lot. He was busy. It was a lot. And I looked at that game, and a bulk of it was 20 interceptions. So Vancouver was passing very badly, is all I can assume. Um, other than that, it was a really basic game. It was a 1-0 win for Kansas City, no red cards on either team. Usually when you see numbers that high, you know, uh, you can kind of expect there to be some unusual circumstances, like a, a man or two-man advantage or just some kind of extenuating thing. But, but not in this case. It looked like a pretty straightforward game. So uh, that was the pass- I, I know you don't have it right in front of you, but I'm kind of curious. Were the passing numbers pretty normal? I don't have it right in front of me. <laughs> so okay, I, well, I mean, I so that's one thing that you'll see, like, when, especially on one side. Yeah. Is yeah. you'll see that that lopsided passing uh, volume, and that happens, and that's one of the reasons why, like when we talk about DFAs, why we always try to uh, kind of weight it based on the number of passes that they're involved on that uh, the team passes. So a lot of times when I'm going through DF, DFAs, and you really want to be careful about how you're using them because you know we've we pretty much beat that uh, camel to death uh, when it comes to uh, DFAs. Don't necessarily equate being good but rather busy it's kind of like at work where you know eric down the hall does all the paperwork does hours and hours and hours of paperwork but he's never really efficient (laughs) so uh with that you just kind of want to take those dfas and you want to wait them for how many passes uh, are coming through uh, by the opponents right how many opportunities do they have to make those defensive actions. So that, that just one of those things that you want to consider. Yeah, and also if you're, Eric is doing tons and tons of paperwork and he's just just rolling through that paperwork, you know, he's likely to make some mistakes on that paperwork. And a couple of those mistakes can be pretty serious. Uh, and just the same, uh, <laughs> one of our other uh, top defenders that I think we'll probably talk about, uh, second highest in 2015 was actually from this year. And it's a guy we mentioned, oh, way back in... The beginning of the season, we, we discussed Victor Cabrera, and uh, he had a performance against Seattle this year, uh, in which Seattle were a uh, man down, I believe. Yeah, that was that one. And uh, he the 23 defensive actions, and that's the highest this year. Uh, he also has the second highest this year uh, and the fourth highest this year. So Victor Cabrera is just an interesting sort of defender. Um, and I know after we, we asked that is he elite question, uh, I think for the next three weeks he single-handedly, like, was responsible for giving up, like, five goals. So uh, he answered that question for us, but now it kind of... Well, to be fair, to be fair, let's let's not go too crazy and kick ourselves, right? He had... He was responsible for four of the... Uh, excuse me, three of the top five uh, DFA games, right? Those first two belong to him as well, and those both have... Uh, Barely one, 
expected goal against in those games. So it wasn't just that Victor Cabrera was super busy. It was that his team played really well and really well on the defensive side while he was really busy. And sometimes it's a, and this is part of the peril of trying to determine whether or not there was uh, correlation and causation was they really were they really good because Cabrera was busy were they really good uh, and Victor Cabrera were was really busy this happened twice in a span of two weeks and I think that it was reasonable to consider he was having two really good games now since then uh not so much, right? He, he's obviously kind of lost his spot. Uh, Rudy Camacho, Rod Fanny, both are kind of in that spot where they're they're getting the bulk of the time. However, uh, I I think you kind of agree with me. I don't think Victor Cabrera is quite out of the running yet, but he's definitely had some some bad games. And those the thing about being a person that's very busy, and you you mentioned this already, is that you're very prone to to make mistakes. And when you make those mistakes, especially with defensive actions, they're prone, they're prone to stick. And as a center back, if you're making mistakes where people remember, then you're probably not continue going to continue to get minutes. Yeah. What was the, uh, what, what was the player that you named this, this, uh, this, uh, this, this effect was it, uh, Oh, I call it the Leonardo theorem. And (laughs) well, (laughs) so, and I don't want to throw, he doesn't like us talking about him, but uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, I used to have one of our ASA guys who's now with the team. uh, We used to have this argument over whether Leonardo was good or was bad. And he was very, very firmly entrenched that uh, Leonardo is bad. Um, I myself thought that he might be. Underrated, maybe not great, but I thought he was he was good, um, if not average. Um, and so we'd go round, make rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds. And I think that the reason why he was largely underrated is because he would have really bad moments. He'd have some really good moments, but those good moments, being that they're defensive, don't stand out as much as those bad moments. And when you continually have bad moments, one or two, you know, every other game look, you're just not going to get minutes and people aren't going to think very highly of you. And that's, it's a double-edged sword because an attacker can kind of get away with that. An attacker can have, you know, two or three bad moments. I mean, Valeri is going to end up, you know, in our lowered expectations this week. Um, but regardless, we, he's still really amazing. We know this. Yeah, nobody is going to say that Valeri needs to be benched. No, no. But if a defender does basically the the defensive equivalent of what he did, he's probably going to find himself either on the bench or near the bench. It sticks out. Leonardo, by the way, uh, interestingly enough, third on that uh, list of defensive actions in a game with 22 against Seattle back in 2015 as well. So, yes, he is part of it. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 we have, I, I guess our listeners have probably guessed by now that I have been unusually fascinated by Victor Cabrera for a couple of years um, and just always sort of interested to see like what even watching him like I would never be able to point to one of the like I watched that game against Seattle where he did 23 and I never would have said that he did that many I never would have thought like that was an outstanding um, all action you know all business game for Victor Cabrera so um, it's a it's an interesting uh, interesting proposition and, well and not I, only that but Seattle was 
in the lower end of the possession, like they, I think they had like 47% of that possession and Montreal well, that- on top of that, uh, was away. So both of those would lead you to kind of suspect that, you know. Well, yeah, and Seattle was a man down um, from early in that game, I believe. I think that was the one. Right, where, yeah, uh, right. And so there's just things in Montreal's favor that you, you wouldn't co- put two and two together and say Victor Cabrera. Had to put out like a defensive showcase or anything of that nature, yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of like as we see him once again kind of moved – He's kind of always been with Montreal in this place where if he didn't have someone in front of him, Montreal was always kind of looking for someone to put in front of him. And I think a lot of people have kind of like tried to kind of... Anyway, he's always just never owned that center back spot. Like like the, a, a player that I think that, you know, with the abilities that we do see, you know, from time to time should, should easily have. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you kind of wonder like... Maybe some other team might be able to get something, get the best out of Victor Cabrera. No, I, I, I kind of wonder the same thing. I wonder why he stuck around Montreal through three different head, three, maybe four head coaches. Yeah, maybe um, four. All of them, as you said, have have kind of given him an opportunity, and then have kind of made that uh, conclusion that he may not fit their plans, right? But yet he's stuck around, and and it's not as if you know Cabrera's an old dog. I mean, what he's twenty five. Uh, 24 at the most. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I kind of wonder what he would fetch on the on the trade market. Yeah, and like, I guess if you're a coach and you've got this guy that is more aggressive. I mean, he's an aggressive defender. We can obviously say that just from watching, just from looking at these numbers. You know, like, is there like somebody that you pair him with? Yeah. Like, can you yeah, imagine well, something uh, like... Can you imagine pairing him with somebody like Matt Beasler? Or pairing him with a Chad Marshall? Yeah, that could probably work. I mean, the problem, like, is again that like he does have a tendency to get carded uh, and get himself in, you know, card but, trouble. But early. that's, I mean, I think that that's, I, I I understand there are players who have a propensity for getting cards, but those are the players that are going to do the defensive actions. Those are the guys that are going to do the contesting. They're going to be, you know, we talked about, uh, I think either last week or two weeks ago, we talked about the tactical effort of just basically denying a shot from being created. And part of that is having guys that are going to go out there and create defensive actions that are going to dispossess and uh, force either errant passes or, you know, tackle and remove the possession from the other team and start a, a counter. You can't have that with, guys like Matt Beasler. It's not to say Matt Beasler's bad. Matt Beasler, in my opinion, is probably one of, if not the best center backs in the last three, four years. Chad Marshall's right there as well. But neither one of those guys are necessarily the guys that are going to go out there and force these events to occur. They're going to allow you to play your hand, and at the moment that is best suited for their skill set, they're going to try and make the play and that's great because they're very very good at it and they know where people should be at they're great at holding that defensive line together and I think that you have to have those guys on your defense but I think you also have the have to have the Victor Cabrera's you have to have the uh the Icoparas the the guys that are going to come off the line and they're they're going to disrupt things and I think that those guys are valuable especially with the departure 
in MLS from the true number six. Mm-hmm. I it mean, we kind of talked about this yeah. a few weeks ago as well. The MLS doesn't have true sixes anymore. There's not a lot of them. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it does create kind of a situation where I think you're looking for a different type of center back. And I know that what a lot of teams are looking for right now is, um, you know, that kind of ball playing center back. You know, to, as we kind of get towards like offenses looking to move faster to get more vertical, you know, we've seen the Red Bulls do it to, you know, a very su- great success and, and other teams as well. You know, I, I kind of think that th- there's going to be, it's going to be hard to find maybe a place. Well, I think they'll always have jobs and always be appreciated by a lot of people. You know, I don't know. I just kind of think that the value of a guy like a Chad Marshall or Matt Beasler might be sort of um, not something that we see as much in, in, in the coming years. Uh, that kind of cerebral sort of center back. I think it's hard to identify those guys. And because of that, you kind of you have to lean on your coaches. You have to lean on your scouts. And I think... Uh, I don't want to say people are getting away from that because I really don't think they are. Um, but with that, there's going to be a lot more misses in that category and in that camp than there are with picking out guys that are overly aggressive and easily identifiable when it comes to winning possession. It's true. It's one of the ways in which the numbers are uh, still um, still difficult. I, I know that uh, Mark Freeman, uh, Rapids Rabbi, wrote an article for us um, where he talked to uh, Fran Taylor of the Colorado Rapids. Um, and one of the quotes Fran Taylor had, and I thought that was really interesting, was that, you know, he said, yeah, computers can drive cars. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember exactly. But computers can drive cars. Uh, computers can do almost everything humans can do now. Uh, but computers cannot uh, evaluate and, and apply value to defenders yet. And I thought that was an interesting, uh, <laughs> I thought that was an interesting point he made. I will say that there's been some really interesting work by the likes of Will Spearman um, with valuing passes, especially when it comes to video. Uh, we saw a really cool presentation during Opta and uh, during Opta's conference back in uh, Philadelphia in February. Since then, uh, Mr. Spearman is now working for Liverpool, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but uh, he had some really fantastic, basically just examples of how to maximize decision-making for passing, especially when it comes to shot creation. So think of it as you have an expected goal model. It is what is the probability of when you made when you're ready to pass – if you made a pass to this person at this time, given the surrounding defenders, because you can take into account the defenders and their movement because you have video. Um, it was quite fantastic technology. And I kind of wondering if, uh, um, I'm kind of wondering who will be the first to really integrate that because I think whoever does will absolutely gain an edge. Yeah. Or who will be sort of that, well, I mean, like, just like, yeah, we, we're probably closer to that than we than we realize. Um, anyway, uh, that that is uh, that is kind of where we're at with Victor Cabrera and our interesting side of the week. So, uh, fourteen defensive actions, not a lot. I learned that today. Uh, not bad though, <laughs> especially in a game you win five one. Um, speaking of uh, Rapids Rabbi, our friend Mark Freeman, um, he also. Uh, 
brought up something uh, on Twitter that we saw and kind of reminded me and you, I think, of uh, another center back that is kind of a fascinating uh, character in this league, and that's uh, Axel Schuberg. Um, well, whatever, like, uh, he did not win Defender of the Year in 2016, but I, I thought he did. But he made best 11, and I'm pretty sure he was runner-up to Matt Hedges. Um, which, no, uh, you know, not bad. Can't really criticize a guy for that. Um, and since then, he kind of faded away. And uh, 2016 was sort of that unusual year for Colorado, which, uh, you know, they were still under Mastroeni. Like, they were still a very defensive soccer team. Um, but they were winning games, uh, a lot of them. Like, they've almost, uh, I think they finished just a couple points shy of a supporter shield. Um, you know, since then, it hasn't been that good for them. Um, and I wonder, like, whatever, uh, whatever happened to Axel Schubert? <laughs> like, is he still somebody that you could see uh, kind of finding, like, a, another place in this league that, that, that could use a, a guy like that? Yeah, I kind of wonder as well, right? Like, and I think that was something that both of us kind of, we both kind of did the whole, hmm, well, he actually has started recently. So that's something to consider. So he's not a complete lost cause, but you already see Houston has, uh, Houston went after Jared Watts and you've kind of seen them break that duo up and they've since imported uh, several different um, English and uh, international center backs kind of in lieu of. And I think that it's important to kind of realize that Colorado is trying to play a little bit more, uh, I guess a little bit more ball friendly is the best way to kind of put it. Yeah. They're trying to go into that three man back line. They're trying to play out of the back, which means that they need center backs that are comfortable with the ball at their feet. That's I don't know ver- that that's, yeah, I don't know that that's actually Schubert. <laughs> yeah, Schubert, I mean, very good at being disruptive, amazing at winning headers, uh, not so much with, you know, the fancy footwork. Right. Um, you know, and then also, he also, uh, like all, whatever happened to cases, generally there's, there's some injuries in there, and we can kind of look back and see, like, in 2015, he missed eight games. 2016, his best season, he was very, very healthy. Um, then the next year he missed 10 games and he's already missed four games this year too. Um, so it's an interesting situation and it's one of those guys that I look at and I see it's just not quite up there on the minutes chart anymore. Um, and I wonder if you look at a lot of teams that need to shore up defensively and there are, there are a few in this league. Um, there, there are, there are a number and like, this is a guy I think that you could go get if you, if you make it worth, if you make a good enough offer, I, you know, I don't think it would take. Justin Muir money or anything like that to, to get something like this done. Um, so I kind of wonder if maybe this is... Maybe we should just pair Cabrera and Schubert together. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I was going to say that's crazy, but LAFC's kind of already done that with, like, Simon and Walker Zimmerman, right? Yeah, I kinda. mean, it, it, they're both very... At least... Simon previously in Montreal was very, uh, I don't want to say attacking, but he was very event-oriented, right? He was uh, very divisive with disrupting. I like that, uh, event-oriented. That's what we're going to call these defenders now. Well, I mean, I, that's, that's, how, that's, I mean you yeah. have cerebral defenders and you have event-oriented. Event-oriented. 
and, and that's kind of how I've always I've always separated. And I'm sure that there's some subcategories that should be identified from there, but that's how I kind of view them. Um, yeah, I really thought Bob Bradley was a little bit crazy for putting Walker Zimmerman and Laurent Simon and then saying, hey, we're going to push them forward and we're going to um, really have a high line this year. And that was on top of the fact they're not going to play with the number six. Um, like these things um, still don't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. That being said, um, I, I, I don't know if I would do it if if I was another MLS coach, I don't think they could get away with it. <laughs> Bob yeah, Bradley no. just has like a special uh, bottle of magic that uh, he's able to get away with these things. And it, 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 look, he's he's much smarter than I am. He he's been around. He's figured out how to make that work. I don't know if you could make Victor Cabrera and uh, Schuberg work, but I'm sure independently, there's a lot of teams that could look at those guys and say that could really work on our system. And especially with the amount of MLS teams that need to improve defending. Expected goals against and expected goals for, conversely, is at like an all-time high. We, we are seeing more shots generated. We're seeing more shots, more high leverage opportunities created. Defending in MLS this year has been, I don't want to say a joke because that's kind of mean, but it, it just the quality isn't there because we have so many great attackers now in MLS. There's so many people that can just pick, uh, pick attacks apart or defenses apart. And the quality that we had once isn't there. It's not the same. It's not on par. And so teams either need to adjust tactically, which I'm not sure they're quite doing because I feel like the game, especially when you're like a team like the Galaxy, um, is to outscore the other team. When you're Minnesota, it's, look, we're just going to continue to throw balls forward and we're going to try to get as lucky as we can. Um, and when you got Darwin Quintero being the one that's delivering all those passes, that's usually a good thing. But I, I'd be really surprised that a team doesn't take some risk on uh, Victor Cabrera, on, on uh, Axel Schorberg, especially with some of the injuries that you've seen around the league. Yeah, but then again, you know, these nothing that's happening there is particularly brand new either, and they remain at those teams. So maybe those teams do not want to give them up. Maybe they do see them as valuable pieces somehow. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, definitely that always that always confuses me, right? When you don't play a player that's maybe in their mid twenties. I mean, they're they're in their prime physically, but you don't play them, so you're not getting value out of their prime. Right, but you're getting some value by keeping them off of rivals. So, I mean, just in an effort to kind of uh, push this forward, you know, let's let's talk about uh, Fernando Adi. Fernando Adi is a, an example of this, right? Like, uh, Portland's turned down opportunities to sell him. He's had opportunities to go abroad. He's had opportunities to go to Liga MX. Uh, but Portland's kind of held fast that there's value in him and they don't want to lose him, which is a great thing. You don't want to lose talented players on your team, but at a certain point, and we saw this with FC Dallas last year, you're going to have to let players go when they want to go and you're going to have to have a good enough and developed enough scouting network to where when that player leaves, you can go at that next person 
or start lining those players up. Atlanta's been genius about this. I mean, they, they've already paid for an entire player to have the rights to that player should Miguel Omaron leave. Uh, you know, this is, that's the way you do it. And not to say you should be paying for players that aren't pe- playing for you, but I think that you, sh- you know, FC Dallas is now talking about how they've had to go and identify players once Diaz left. Who's going to be the next Diaz for them? Right. I mean, it doesn't look like they're even. There's no one even really trying on that team. <laughs> like that's just not even a position that they're putting out there at this moment. And um, you know, I guess they've got a new guy, Rangiez. Um, who, who might be that? I, I'm not gonna act like I know anything about that player, but uh, you know, uh, certainly you and Dallas, me both. I mean, yes, yeah, certainly Dallas has, has shown a, 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 that they're 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 reasonably uh, good at identifying talent from that that region and uh, bringing a player like that in. So you know, he might be fantastic. Um, yeah, it's an interesting like like you said. I, I when you look at there's something to be said obviously for having depth, and I think that anybody that's ever uh, tried to play football manager, for example, knows that the hardest thing to do is to find a player that's really good, but that's happy being a backup. Uh, that's a difficult thing to find. And so if you can sort of, I think it's easier in real life because you have a little more leverage um, over their contracts and things of that nature. Uh, but like if you're Portland and you've got your backup striker is Fernando Adi, I mean, there's value in that. Like maybe I, I, like, I agree that there could be more value given to him on a market, get get rid of him and get some other some other resources in. Uh, but it's also really hard to sit there and, and give up that, that that safety net to know that if something happens to Armenteros, like the worst thing imaginable, Armenteros, you know, tears an ACL. Oh no, our plan B is Fundendo Adi. Like that's that's hard to give up. Okay, and that's totally fair. But at the same time, who says Adi's ready to ready to go now because he's been sitting on the bench for so long? And there's so many different. <laughs> What if type scenarios that you can get thrown at you, especially being with the backup? Um, but I, I agree with you, and this is kind of what we talked about beforehand. And you threw out a trade scenario with with Audi um, in terms of seeking that great solution. Yeah, I think I've nailed this one, but I will understand why fans of both teams will think I'm an insane person. Um, also, this is very much. Not going to happen. I want to be clear about that as well. This is not a prediction. This is just me sort of effusing uh, a bit and, and just doing some... Stop it. Just throw it out. All right. So, Philadelphia. I have a man named CJ Sapong. They want a guy like CJ Sapong, but they need a guy right now that's not CJ Sapong because CJ Sapong has been having a very off year in front of Yips. goal. Let's just say it. We love CJ here. It's not been going great for him. I can understand why the fans are frustrated. I can understand the need to bring in somebody new. Portland need another backup uh, to take the place of Fernando Adi. Um, they kind of need somebody like Fernando Adi to be that backup. Uh, but it can't be Fernando Adi. I say Philadelphia sends them Sapong and some cash. Adi goes the other way and both teams are pretty happy. This makes a ton of sense. When you, when you said this to me, this makes a ton of sense. Um, I don't know how much Philadelphia really has left in their coffers, just especially with trading for a calm. I, I really don't think that they have very much. That being said, if they can rustle up some type of assets on top of Sapong, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Philadelphia, I know, 
is kind of in the, the quote unquote, trust the process. Harrison Ham threw out me. He was like, well, you know, they have Corey, uh, Corey Burke right now. Corey Burke is 18 months older than Fernando Adi. It's not like Corey Burke is some, you know, young spring chicken that you're hoping. At, when Fernando Adi came into this league, he was younger than Corey Burke. And he was scoring more goals. Fernando Adi is a proven goal scorer when, and I hate using such cliches, but the guy's going to consistently create opportunities. We've seen that. We can prove that in the data, right? We can see that he's consistently and physically ready to prepare for battle. The guy just is going to own that space within the 18-yard box. Wherever he wants to plant, that's where he's going to be. He is grouped at times. Um, and I have a lot of respect for that. I don't think he's a fit for Sporting Kansas City for those reasons. Everybody think... seems to think that this is the thing that's going to happen. Like, he's going to go to SKC. I don't... First of all, if you're a striker, I'm not sure that's where you want to go. Um, especially, like... I don't know. Yeah, I think you said it better. I'll, I'll let you explain why it's not a thing. But I'm with you. I read your thing earlier. Well, yeah. I I did. He, all right. So first of all, they've really developed wingers, right? So when they had Dom Dwyer there, Dom Dwyer was the counterattacking piece. He was the guy that was going to push the ball forward. And if he could get forward fast enough, he would take the shot. Sometimes they would have a grouping with him. Uh, Graham Zussi, um, a couple others would be getting forward, but ultimately the attack rose and fell on Dom Dwyer. This is why there's so much consternation when it comes to Dom Dwyer as SKC fans look back and, and almost uh, feel frustrated uh, still over those years with him, but it rose and fell with him. It's also why their defense was so good is because they had so many players back. Their wingers were had defensive responsibilities. Now that's less the case. Now they have more attacking-minded wingers, and with that, their striker is playing more of a utility role. We talked about this earlier with Kyrie Shelton. Kyrie Shelton, I don't need him to score or put up a ton of shots. I need him to be ready for when I need him to take shots. Yeah. And I think Kyrie Shelton's also going to put in the work that Vermees is going to ask of him, right? Yeah. I don't know if Adi will. Like, you got to think about, you got to think about as big and strong and and active as Adi is. You know, I don't know that. I mean, Peter Vermees is like very serious about effort. Like, well, it's the high press. Yeah, right? like he's, it, it's he's not super, just high effort. Yeah, we saw like after a US Open a US Open Cup game. Okay? The US Open Cup, he didn't like the way he didn't like Amor's effort. They bring this guy in on loan, he didn't like his effort. Said in the press, well, he's not gonna be back with the first team for a very long time. Turns out the guy's on his way out the door. Like you don't bring hundred percent, you don't like, you're not gonna have a place on Peter Vermees' team. And I don't think Adi needs to be the type of player that's that sort of effort guy. I don't think that that's how he'd be the most successful, but I just don't see that being like a super great match. No, I, I very much agree. Um, there's probably a few others that you, I mean, from Colorado. I don't know if, Phil, uh, if Portland really wants to deal him in the Western Conference. That just seems, oh, seems plus, like yeah, a bad Portland move. Portland and SKC are going to be like in the playoffs together very likely this year, too. I don't know that I would be sending him... Yeah, right? Like, that doesn't make sense. I wouldn't know. Uh, look, I, if anything, I'm going to send him to the Eastern Conference, to Montreal. Um, that would oh, make yeah. some sense. Yeah, uh, but again, that, it's that counterattacking style there in Montreal. You have to find a team that's, that's I mean, 
Philadelphia kind of has a possession-oriented uh, approach, but with it, the the striker, the role isn't the same, right? He doesn't have to facilitate all these different passing roles. His role is get the ball, shoot the ball. You know, it's it, it, it's not analogous with uh, with Columbus, but there's a lot of similarities. And, well, and but Portland, I mean, Portland when he was at his you know, his, his most dominant. I mean, Portland, we're still doing a lot of counterattacking. I think he can exist in that. I, I don't want to rule it out, but I, I mean, honestly, you had multiple, wing, you had some really good wingers. Uh, at, Rodney Wallace was really at his prime. You, Lucas Milano wasn't terrible, and his speed was at least dangerous to, to, call, to open up some running lanes. And then Diego Valeri was, uh, he still is really good. Uh, little did we know that was he was just great. Like I knew that we we all can say that we saw him being very good. Yeah, he's um, been a star for a, since. Yeah, absolutely, and he just absolutely was on a different level at that point in t- time. I know that um, it, looking back, it's a little bit easy to to kind of get. We'll say, well, wow, these guys were so good. They, they weren't the greatest. They were. I don't think Portland was has ever been. Um, but in certain games, the best team in their league. Um, that being said, they've had fan- a fantastic attack from time to time, and yeah. uh, at worst, they've been really good with yeah. Fernando Adi, and that's yeah. at worst. Um, the thing that's always been their hit Achilles' heel has been their defense, and it looks like that they solved it. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Fernando Adi, if you can swap him and you can bring in CJ Sapong, CJ Sapong will put give you that effort. He's going to be a suitable fill-in when it ti- when the time comes. And guess what? He's not solely carrying the Timbers' attack. If he finds his way in because Armenteros is gone, or you know he has to leave for some reason to hang out with you know um, you know French superstars by the poolside. Belgium, Belgium, but yes. Belgium. I apologize. I don't understand. Lukaku and Armenteros are friends. Lukaku, that's who it was. I, yeah. I, I, I was thinking it was somebody else. Um, if, for whatever reason, Sapong has to find himself, I feel like that's a suitable mix. And on top of that, Portland finds some cash that they can help bring in some depth. They've already done a great job bringing in some of their some young players to help facilitate um, not just this year, but that next leap forward for them. Portland's really scary right now, and I don't want to be too dramatic when I say this, but Valeri's Valeri's in his last one or two good seasons. I don't want to say this is his last good season, but Valeri's eventually going to slow down, and having the money to continue having these young players and replace Valeri, um, you know, that might help you. I don't know if that's how... Something that they want to explore, but I would imagine whatever Gam or Tam that they that they come away with this is going to be at least logically explored to find some sort of attacking player that's going to help them in that position, and maybe even a defensive player to help facilitate uh, Diego Shara's role because I mean he's 32 as well. Well, I think they've kind of got Guzman sort of prepped for that. Um, I know they're not exactly the. Uh... 
I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to hate on Guzman. I just, uh, I don't know if that that's that's best suited. I think they need another six. Uh, I would love to see another six in Portland, sitting in front of that defense, uh, tearing it up and going and making, you know, forty, fifty yard r- runs with the ball at their feet through uh, to pass off to Diego Valeri for an amazing uh, through ball. You know, it's the great counterattack. Um, all right, so listen. Those are fun teams. Whatever, I think we agree that whatever Portland ends up with for Audi is probably better than whatever their situation with Audi is right now. And whatever team ends up with Audi is going to end up with a, a new dimension that they can use, you know, in an attack. And that's going to be very, very good for them, probably, for the type of teams that will be in the market for this. Um, who knows? I honestly don't know where he'll wind up. Um, I guess... Uh, everyone seems to be saying Kansas City, but I, I don't see that. Um, Montreal seems like it might be a good pick, too, because they just, like, their uh, deal for that French striker just fell through. Yeah, that's that's kind of what my, my line of thinking was. They instantly enter into that um, into that bidding war, so to speak. And on top of that, I I feel like they have a little bit of a uh, little bit of resource that they might be able to pull from, but um, then again, that might not be true. Yeah. Um, what if they send Portland Cabrera? No. I know. <laughs> I just wanted to bring it back. No. <laughs> I mean, look, look, not not to say like, oh, Portland shouldn't have Victor Cabrera. I don't know if Victor Cabrera works in that system. Um, that's a very, very patient um, defense. It was a situation. It was a suggestion in jest. Um, Although I wouldn't mind seeing him as as maybe a six in that, I I could totally see him sitting in front of the defense. That wouldn't be, and he does have a little bit of speed too. That, yeah, that, that could be his passing numbers. But if we could like rebrand Victor Cabrera as a six, he should hire us as his agents. Um, we'll need to check those passing numbers first. Uh, so <laughs> that's Sapong, that's Adi. Uh, again, rumors, all uh, nothing set in stone that the, any moves are going to happen involving those two. Um, but but definitely moves that. Would make sense for their teams, I think, at this point, and kind of uh, definitely see them needing to move in that direction. Uh, more surprising, uh, from a macro perspective, if you pull all the way back, um, a guy that's on the block, on the move, <clears throat> definitely without question, is um, Justin Miram. And boy, that did not go well for him in Orlando. And I really don't think that this is Justin Miram's fault in the slightest. I put no blame on this guy whatsoever. Sorry? I'm not into playing the blame game, but I'm interested, based off your comments, who is at fault for Justin Miram not being a part of this attack? Well, I mean, I think that... I mean, I don't think that you can look at the Orlando organization right now and go, yeah, that, that all makes sense. Everything that's going on there is good. That's a stable <laughs> place. Like, it's just a crazy situation. You know, they, recru- they clearly were like, Christ had like, Christ was probably halfway out the door from the beginning of the year. Like, they clearly were thinking about that already. Um, you know, he's got fans sending him death threats, uh, <laughs> which makes him uncomfortable and not want to go play. Like, I, I don't... I know that he wasn't the Justin Miram we had at Columbus, but it was still early on, and I, I just don't see how a team can take something, a piece like Justin Miram, and just not use it and not find any way to make him effective. I think if that's the case, the issue's not on Justin Miram. 
I'm yeah, but you, okay, so but look at those positions that he was asked to play. Was he ever a? I mean, okay, so he maybe had a couple games as a winger. What did he primarily play though? For they mainly stuck he played him up two positions. Nine. Yeah, they mainly put him up top uh, at the beginning of the year because I guess Dwyer was injured, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And you know that's not okay. That's not a Justin Miram spot. But again, that's not on Justin Miram either. That's not his fault. Well, and then the other thing was a sl- uh, he wasn't even a, uh, an attacking piece. I, well, I mean, he was attacking piece. He wasn't necessarily like the striker. He was more of a shadow striker. And they dropped him even further back, like at the tip of a diamond at times. Um, to, well, it's a question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, so, I mean, he facilitated a ton of different roles. Um, yeah, I, I'm totally on board that I don't think he ever had a chance to really be comfortable or to be integrated into this uh, team so, that being said, where should we put Justin Miram? Where should Justin Miram go? Oh, man. That's a great question. I have no idea. I think that first, if I had to power rank, you know I like to power rank things. You <laughs> to love pa- to power rank things. I do love to power rank things. Uh, power rank, uh, send him back to Columbus. They could use him, obviously. Um, you know, I don't know that he would want that, given that he's sort of decided that he did not want to be there and be kind of part of whatever's happening, um, you know, with that team right now, kind of behind the scenes. Uh, looks like that might be kind of settling out a little bit. Hashtag save the crew. Um, so maybe that's, maybe that's a good option. And if, <laughs> and if they could get him at a cut rate price a few months later after they sold him for that much to Orlando, uh, that would make them look like geniuses. I like it. I like it a lot. I do like it. Yep. And, and this is just completely off the top of my head, but you know, we just—I know we just said, oh, you know, Orlando played him at a position that he's really not necessarily um, keen to, um, or something that he's has past experience with. But f- filling the nine role with Kansas City, or even putting him and making him. Uh, Either a replacement wing for uh, Crozet or, or something to that of that sort. Um, look, Miram's got an engine. He's definitely he can run uh, and cover a lot of ground. He has a great work ethic for, from all accounts, and um, I think that he adds more to that. He adds and enhances what is already there. So that's that would be my move, uh, especially when you look at teams that you know they're they're trying to gear up for their run, and at this stage you see other teams selling off um, to to try to rebuild for next season or or to put something else into play, and then you have teams really kind of gearing up for next season. I think you're going to see some teams get really deep here in the next next month and a half. Yeah. All right. Let me propose a, a swap deal here. Straight swap again. Oh um, no! Yes, I'm gonna do it. Uh, <laughs> I know where you're going with it. No, I actually don't like it. Uh, <laughs> we could the other guy that's kind of out there that plays not the same role, <sighs> similar positionally. It's not gonna happen. We're not gonna do that to Plata. We're just not gonna do it. We're not gonna send him to Orlando. Um, but that that's another guy. That, but like, if RSL moves somebody like Plata, I think they could have him for somebody like Justin Miram. 
Well, and, and it would make sense from the standpoint of they need someone in their prime that is going to help shepherd that club forward, especially with some of the aging veterans and then so many young players. Um, that would make a lot of sense to me for them to make that play. Swapping Plata, too. I mean, Plata... <laughs> He's Ecuadorian, yeah. not Colombian, but I mean, you know, there, there's that Latin <laughs> flavor at that club. Um, I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think that would be a great, a great landing zone for him. I think more like I see if RSL moves him wherever, which I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if where he wound up being moved was abroad, someplace else, Middle East. Well, okay, so it would make a lot of sense for a, a Liga Mekis club to come down and uh, totally try to uh, make a play for him. That would make a lot of sense. However. If I'm any MLS club and I'm trying to make a run for MLS Cup, I know that there's a lot of things said in the MLS sphere about his attitude, about locker room issues um, that he's helped either create or personify due to his actions. I honestly think that if you can get him on board and I thought this about Chicago. If Chicago made the play for him that we're, you know, we fell through and everything. If you can get him completely bought in for four months, hold on, buy him for four months. Jao Plata has the ability to be one of the elite wingers in this league. Yeah. I remember one time you put a tweet up, and this is when I was like not sure if I was ever going to be able to be friends with you because... You said right now, if you asked me, I would take Joao Plata over Ignacio Piatti. Now, I still think that's a bit much. I think it's just a little too far. No. No, but, especially... I will tell listen, you, especially let me, now. Let me finish. Let me finish. But okay. Since then, I have become a Joao Plata researcher. I've become a Joao Plata advocate. Uh, I've been like looking at his numbers. He's amazing. He's a really, really great player, and like it, it's like I, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak out about locker room stuff. I don't know. I've heard that you know from from one source that yeah, he's a locker room issue. I've heard from another source that he's actually really, really popular with the other players. He just doesn't like it when he doesn't get picked to play, um, which some coaches would find that endearing. Maybe I, I don't know. Um, I, I, well, I mean, you have Joseph Martinez that, that gets angry when he doesn't score goals. I mean, but yet that's that's personified as a great thing. I think that I think at one point in time you can be a locker room cancer, and at another point you could be the glue that holds a locker room together. And I don't buy into locker room material, but I do think that it ha- at a certain point in time it sours a reputation. Well, and that, and we're looking at this situation like he's obviously extremely good. Um, he's been incredibly productive in what minutes he's played. I, I, I did a, like, I pulled um, just Plata versus Savarino versus Sacedo versus Rusnik, and in every category, he's the best. Every single offensive category, and it's not even close in most of them. Like, he has slightly less shots per, per 90 than, I think, Sacedo. Like, just a little bit less, but he's almost there, too. Um, you know, he's just, like, a very effective player he's vibrant he comes on he's the kind of guy that comes on for like 20 30 minutes and still does a lot with his 20 and 30 minutes like he's i don't know i just i I don't i cannot comprehend not playing joao plata like how annoyed do you have to be with him (laughs) to like be in charge of, of setting up a soccer team and leaving him out 
and everybody's kind of talked about the emer- the quote unquote emergence of Salcedo. Um, I'm still very much out on him. I'm not to say that I don't think that he's a good player. Um, I'm not where everybody else is at. In 800 minutes, he has two goals. He has two expected goals. Um, yeah, I, I I feel like there should be more production there. That's that's just me. So yeah. well, let's just look at. I mean, okay, so here it is for just expected goals plus expected assists per 96, and this was going into last weekend. So Plata would actually be even higher if I if I had this current, uh, but. <clears throat> Salcedo was at 0.35, Savarino at 0.33, Rusnak at 0.55, Plata at 0.86, and that's just gotten higher in the last week or two. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing? <laughs> like, there's not one team I, I can think of that wouldn't be able to find a place for you at Plata. Like, maybe not LAFC, maybe not Atlanta. That's about it. Yeah, and that's only because Latif Blessing has been amazing. And the other side of the coin is because Atlanta overpaid. I don't want to say overpaid. That's not nice. Um, because they have the investment in Barco and they have to play him. Um, and, and that's even with this, the team suspension, um, he's going to find his way back in the starting lineup. That's just an eventuality. When you make that type of investment, you have to play. I mean, it it, has, it it is. But aside from those two, yeah, you're right. I don't I don't know if there is a team that couldn't make that that wouldn't take that risk. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm looking at teams that are on the bubble: uh, Minnesota, Seattle. Look, if Plot is contract, and I don't know that situation, but let's assume there's 18 months on that on that contract. I would be giving up resources. To make it happen, if I'm Minnesota, yeah, 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 and 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 here's the deal: if it doesn't work out, you sell him in the off season, and you be done with it. Yeah, he's probably not going to sign another deal in MLS unless it's for a very big DP contract. I think, um, you know, you have to kind of accept that if you keep him till the end, he's he's going to walk at the end of that deal. Um, you know, unless it's a really good offer, or you know, he finds a situation that he just really really loves. But you know, I don't. My understanding is that he has some ambitions to go, you know, abroad, and I don't blame him. I think he has the talent to do that, um, and can probably make a lot more money there as well. Uh, so it is. It's a kind of risk thing, but yeah, if you're on a team and you decide that you want to make a push for it this year, and you're kind of in that bubble, um, just, just get this guy. Go, go give <laughs> give RSL whatever they need. Like, if you've got the resources for it, like this is one of those players and an opportunity. I, I really do think that people extremely undervalue this guy a lot, and I, you know, I don't know. I think I, I think people get it. We could not speak more highly of Joel Plata's on-field production. It's it's it'll be really interesting to see where he le- where he ends up at and what he does in those final months with that club. Because I don't think he'll stay with RSL. I'm I'm pretty certain that RSL will pull the trigger. It's just a matter of when. Well, um, lots to do. It's been it's it's that time of year. Um, you know, Chicago bringing in a mysterious number 10. Uh, Seattle bringing in another Peruvian, perhaps. Um, Minnesota still working on some things. Definitely wants, they want another defensive midfielder. Um, which, you know, okay. Uh, go on, Minnesota. Do your, do your thing. Um, 
I, I will be surprised if we see a lot of trades um, kind of this window. I think a lot of teams are kind of looking outside the league now, right now, especially with the TAM being a resource as it is. And I think the league directive with that money is to kind of, to do kind of look outside the league with it. Um, it's going to be an interesting couple weeks. Uh, I, I cannot <clears throat> remember a kind of decision day week, couple weeks period where there's like more teams that are just kind of got a lot of money burning in their pocket. You know what I mean? Right. No, I, I very much agree with you. But if that's the case, let's uh, let's just take. I know we're short on time, but real fast, from the perspective of a team that has no chance to make the playoffs, uh, guaranteed, Colorado. <clears throat> they sign Barnes, and yeah, I don't. I don't really get what they're doing right now. I don't get what their purpose is. I don't get what they're building. I I really like their executive staff. Like I can tell you, I I, I was extremely high on them coming into the season. They're all a bunch of really smart guys. I've had ta- I, I've had discussions with uh, several of them um, over the years. They're really smart guys. I'm flabbergasted as far as where we're at. Yeah. I, and I, it I feels like a... if this was going to be an opportunity to maybe jump on some young players. Well, <laughs> they just got Kellen Acosta. Well, it, it, absolutely. Kellen Acosta's one move. And, you know, um, I think you and I are a little bit, I don't want to say a little bit down on Kellen Acosta because I never, I don't think either of us really bought into his hype, so to speak. Yeah, I think that we started at a, a lower place of being up on Kellen Acosta than a lot of the league. I think there was, I think Kellen Acosta is a good player. Obviously, he's a good player. Um, I think that you know he's just been very overhyped. That being said, I think a new situation definitely is something he needs. I think he, um, you know, kind of had his peak in that Supporter Shield winning year for Dallas in 2016. I think he regressed a lot last year, and obviously. That regression kind of continued this year uh, to the point where he wasn't even making, you know, the starting lineups. Uh, he also had Dallas. injuries, much like so. Uh, yeah. oh, so sure. And... sure, sure, sure. And that, that'll obviously hang you out. But sometimes that's the kind of thing that once you kind of get out of the plans for long enough, it's hard to push your way back in and you need to go someplace else. And um, Colorado's <laughs> definitely going to give minutes. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. He, he becomes very much the first name on their team sheet. Um and, uh, yeah, maybe it'll be good for him. I'm, I'm more excited to see Baji uh, at Dallas. I think that could be an interesting, um, you know, one of those things we talked about late season, um, bringing in a different player with, like, kind of a different dimension that they could add to that attack. Uh, yeah, I think he'll probably much. be used off the bench, kind of, you know, is how I would see him. Um, you know, he's a very, very hardworking forward. He... Um, he does. He's done well with what he's had in Colorado, and, and we have to be honest that what he's had in Colorado is not exactly the surrounding cast that you would want um, if you're, you know, kind of being a lone striker. So I, I'm interested to see what he does on a different team. Um, I'm interested to see what FC Dallas does with him. Uh, I hope they don't kind of shun him out on the wing, uh, which would be my one concern. Um, but, but other than that, you know, I think this trade made a lot of sense for Dallas too, especially they're going to get <clears throat> what a top three draft pick probably at least. Yeah, oh yeah, most certainly. Um, and, and well, so you also have to consider expansion. So yeah, um, yeah, top three probably, uh, very likely the the second overall pick. But I mean, the, there's some really interesting young American players across the board that 
you know, um, I feel like most of the league is kind of sitting on. And I feel like Colorado has some pieces that they can swap, some take some chances. I mean, where they have 10, 11 games left, maybe even more. See what some of these young players can do. Like, seriously, let's just open the floodgates. Let's experiment. There is no wrong answer. Because what they're doing right now isn't working, and they need to bring in fresh blood. I think Kellen Acosta was a smart move. I think they might have overpaid for him. Um, but, but that being Colorado said... But Colorado isn't going to overpay on anybody else. Like, it's not like, oh, now they can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, their budget is such that... Well, I don't know. They've overpaid on Howard and Goshi and... Never mind. They've overpaid on a lot of players. And not only that, but you, I mean, let's let's think about who the the top picks have been. The, the top three picks have been the last few years. There's been some really good talent still. Uh, maybe not throughout the draft, but the top three picks, those are really good. Those are still really good players, and uh, those are difference makers. I think. Uh, I mean, you got guys like Jonathan Lewis, who still maybe he's finding a little bit more time, but I, I think he fits Colorado's scheme, um, uh, the the counterattacking pressing style. I think that there's guys out there that could help change the way that you look. Brandon Vasquez probably isn't going to get minutes going forward, um, and, and is looking to be probably moved for said reasons. And then reasons. there's also. I, and then there's you know guys like Mimo Rodriguez sitting in Houston that have been getting sparing minutes for the last two years, it, who's a creative player, really interesting in a lot of different ways. These are guys that should be getting minutes at MLS <laughs> to see get, if they are starting MLS players. Go get Jose Villarreal from Orlando. You, hell yeah. What if Colorado just became the uh, the island of analytics' favorite misfit toys? Well, why not? Uh, I mean, right. literally, what are you doing for the rest for the rest yeah. of the season when your season's over? What yeah. are you doing? Not to go Taylor Twelman on you, but seriously, at some point in time, you have to do something different because doing the same thing is the definition of insanity. That's true. That's true. Um, I, yeah. I really, I really want good things for the Colorado Rapids and their fan base. And the, the, man, you know. Mark's a great guy. I really do hope, and I feel tormented sometimes with, <laughs> especially in the limited opportunities that he's had to enjoy his team uh, yeah. over the last few years. Um, that it feels like I've been on, like my team has kind of been on the other side of that. But yeah, the, a lot of those fans and supporters are great people. I just want um, I want to see those people be re- rewarded for their fandom, um, for the effort that they come and put money into this league. I want to see that rewarded. Let's take it. Let's take it a step further. Colorado, reach out to me and Harrison. We got this. <laughs> we got this. We'll write a book. Uh, like that baseball book. I forget yes. what it's called. <laughs> Dude, one of these times we're we're gonna do that with a USL team, and we'll go. write like a, a different book under a there pen name. <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, that is all we have time for today. Um, gosh, it's such an interesting time of the year to always have these conversations, and and Harrison got to have his Taylor Twelman moment. So this is all time great 
episode of the American Soccer Analysis Show. Uh, thank you very, very much for listening. You can find Harrison on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at a handle for Ian. Uh, please follow American Soccer Analysis on Twitter. That is at Analysis Evolved. And don't forget to visit the website www.americansocceranalysis.com. Content every day next week, I promise you. If not, I'll give you Drew's phone number and you can complain to him. Uh, thank you once again for listening. We will be back here next week. And until then, enjoy the soccer. Soccer.